Scuba diving is a popular activity that has recreational appeal and commercial uses. Most people who have never gone scuba diving think it's just a matter of breathing air out of a tank when you're underwater. However, there's a lot more to it. In fact, solving the problem of underwater breathing wasn't solved until after humans had discovered artificial flight and split the atom. Learn more about scuba diving, its history, and how it works on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935, after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at butcherbox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. If breathing underwater was nothing more than getting air to someone who's below the surface, then some equivalent of scuba diving would have been invented centuries earlier. There were stories from ancient Egypt of people hiding below the surface of the water who used reeds as a snorkel. In the 18th century, there were experiments where people underwater were hooked up with air hoses and air was fed down to them via hand pumps. So, yeah, believe it or not, the fundamental problem wasn't getting air down to someone who was in the water. The main problem was pressure. We don't tend to think much about pressure because we never really notice it from where we sit on the surface of the Earth. The pressure coming from the atmosphere is in equilibrium with the pressure inside our bodies. However, the Earth's atmosphere actually has a lot of pressure. You might have seen experiments where someone heats up an oil drum that's open at the top, and then they seal it and cool it off. As the air inside cools down, it reduces the pressure inside the drum, and eventually, it's crushed by the power of the atmosphere's pressure. You also might have noticed pressure changes if you've been at a high altitude or flown in an airplane, and you had a headache or your ears would pop. Just as the atmosphere has pressure, water exerts even more pressure. 
If you go down just 10 meters or 30 feet below the surface of the water, the pressure is twice that of what it is at the surface. When the pressure increases, it becomes very difficult, actually near impossible, to breathe air which is at one atmosphere of pressure. The pressure on your lungs from the water around you would prevent you from breathing in the air which is at a much lower pressure. In a submarine, and here I'll refer you to my previous episode on the subject, the solution is just to create a very strong container which can withstand the outside pressure of the water. Early diving bells just used the fact that air pressure will equal water pressure when an enclosed space of air is submerged with an opening at the bottom. If you remember back to my episode on the Brooklyn Bridge, that was what they used to build it, and it was extremely dangerous and caused all sorts of problems. Systems with air hoses and diving helmets were in use in the 19th century, but those had inherent dangers as well. The supply of air had to be delivered in real time, and if anything happened, the air would be cut off immediately. The ability to store compressed air in cylinders came about in the early 20th century, and there were early attempts at using them to breathe underwater. The big breakthrough in the creation of the basic system we use today occurred in France during World War II. Two men, Jacques Cousteau and Emile Gagnon, developed a system of air regulators that made it possible to breathe compressed air underwater. Gagnon was an engineer, and Cousteau was an explorer and a sailor. Here I'll explain how the system works. Most people think that you just breathe air directly out of a cylinder when you're diving. That would be impossible, because the pressure of the air inside the cylinder is usually around 200 atmospheres of pressure. Breathing it directly would be like drinking from a fire hose. What the regulator on a scuba system does is regulate the pressure of the air as it comes out of the tank. A scuba system will have two regulators. The first stage regulator is attached to the tank. What it will do is allow air to come out and reduce it to an intermediate pressure, usually around 9.5 atmospheres. Still too much pressure to breathe directly. The second stage regulator is what goes in your mouth. This takes the intermediate air pressure and lets you breathe it in at whatever the ambient water pressure is. That last bit is the really key point. Just as you don't notice air pressure on the surface because the pressure in your lungs is at equilibrium, so too does a scuba regulator keep the pressure in your lungs at equilibrium with your surroundings when you're underwater. This is why the deeper you dive, the more quickly you will exhaust your air supply. You're breathing it in at a higher pressure, so there are more total air molecules that you're breathing in every breath. Likewise, the regulator in your mouth will also vent out air into the water whenever you exhale. This is called an open circuit system. A closed circuit uses something called a rebreather, which lets you reuse oxygen that you exhale, but those are almost never used in recreational scuba diving. A regulator will also always have a gauge attached so you can see the pressure in your tank, as well as a backup second stage regulator in case you or your diving partner are having troubles with theirs. It's a very elegant system, which just works. I've known people who have literally vomited into their regulator and managed to expel everything into the water and it kept working. I don't recommend doing that, but it shows just how robust a regulator can be. While air is obviously the biggest problem when diving, it isn't the only problem. Most of what you have on you when you're diving, especially in salt water, will float. Your body wants to float, your air tank wants to float, and if you're wearing a wetsuit, that too wants to float. The question then is, how do you manage to dive when everything you have is making you float? The answer is lead weights. If you go diving somewhere, part of your gear will usually be a weight belt. You will put lead weights on a belt, and the amount of weight will usually depend on your weight. The bigger you are, the more weight you usually need. This still doesn't solve the problem, however. Once you dive down, you don't want to sink to the bottom either. You want to be able to control your buoyancy. 
In the 1960s, the first vests were developed that let you do just that. Basically, inside the vest, there are air bladders which attach to your air tank. You can control the bladder by pressing a button which will either inflate or deflate the bladder, depending on what you need. It's something you need to adjust as you dive, because the deeper you go, the more the increase in pressure will squeeze the air bladder, reducing its volume, and hence its buoyancy. These are usually called BCDs, or buoyancy control devices. Once you get the hang of how to use it, you can literally hover in the water, neutrally buoyant. The other big issue, probably the biggest issue, is safety. You might be thinking that the biggest safety concern when diving is running out of air. To be sure, that's something to keep an eye on, but that really isn't the biggest threat. Problems with air supply almost never happen, and if you're diving with someone else, then you can easily use their backup regulator to get to the surface. The big danger when scuba diving, and the thing they will always hammer home when you're learning how to dive, is decompression sickness, a.k.a. the bends. This happens when you return to the surface too quickly when you've been down too deep. If you remember in my Brooklyn Bridge episode, the bends caused multiple injuries and deaths during its construction because people would go from a high-pressure environment to a low-pressure environment very quickly. The nitrogen in your body can literally turn to bubbles. The deeper you dive, the more time you have to take to get to the surface. The deepest dive I ever did was about 45 meters or 150 feet in Papua New Guinea. We went down to see pygmy seahorses. We went directly down and then spent the rest of the dive slowly coming back up to the surface. This is why the limit for recreational scuba diving is usually given as around 40 meters. Once you get below that point, you start to enter the realm of technical diving. To give an example, the world's record for the deepest dive using scuba equipment was set in 2014 by an Egyptian army officer named Ahmed Gaber. He is an incredibly experienced diver who spent years preparing for this dive. He went down to a depth of 1,090 feet or 332 meters. The amazing thing is he went from the surface down to that record depth in just 12 minutes. Coming back up, however, took him 15 hours. For most recreational diving, the standard rule is to make a safety stop at 5 meters for 3 to 5 minutes at the end of every dive. If you dive deeper, you might need an extra stop. The vast majority of dives will use plain old compressed air. However, sometimes it's possible to use special mixes, such as nitrox. Normal air is about 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. Nitrox mixtures will have more oxygen. This is primarily to offset the effects of what is called nitrogen narcosis, which is a lightheadedness which can be experienced at depth. It isn't designed for extremely deep dives. There are other mixtures for very technical dives, such as heliox, which is a mixture of helium and oxygen. I actually got nitrox certified back in 2007 in Plow. And then I think I actually use nitrox one time after that because it's almost never available or necessary. The amount of time you can dive is, of course, dependent on the amount of air you have. How long your air lasts will depend on several things, including how deep you dive, how exerted you are, and how big you are. Men tend to have larger lung capacity and go through air faster than women. The average for me tends to be about 45 minutes, but that can vary. I've had dives as short as 30 minutes, mainly because I wasted so much air trying to stay buoyant with a massive underwater camera, and I've had dives that lasted almost an hour because it was a very shallow dive and we never went below 10 meters. If you're interested in learning how to scuba dive, it really isn't hard. There's a short certification course, which can often be done in three to four days, and much of that is classroom material, which can be done separately. If you go on vacation somewhere, you can often get certified at a resort, and there are often dive shops in most decent-sized communities. You don't even need to really invest in any equipment. Dive shops will almost have everything that you need. Diving is pretty much down to a science now. 
And if you're interested in seeing more than the 30% of the Earth which is land, it's really your only option. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media Podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com. And remember, if you leave a review or send in a question, you too can have it read on the show.